there. Welcome. And thanks for listening along with Kingstown Communion, an inclusive and affirming United Methodist Church in the Kingstown area of Alexandria, Virginia. And our community exists to gather people, just like you here now, into communion with Christ and extend God's table into the world through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. This podcast is just one way that we live this out. For more information about our church or to give to our ministry, visit kingstowncommunion.net. And if you live nearby, we hope you'll join us for worship on Sundays at Hayfield Secondary School. Thanks be to God. 
you can't read, and also many animals without laughing. Um, so if you didn't know, Nineveh is northeast of Israel. Maybe you picture that in your brain, if you have a map of Israel in your brain at all. Tarshish, though, nobody knows the exact location for it. It's rumored to be as far as present-day Spain. It was like the end of the world, Tarshish. And Jonah hops a ship in the opposite direction. God comes to Jonah saying, go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah goes the opposite direction to get as much water be between him and Nineveh as is possible. There was no pious, here I am, Lord, send me. He just like hightails it toward Tarshish. We can understand Jonah not wanting to travel to a place like Nineveh. I mean, who in Israel would want to travel to a place like Nineveh? The Ninevites, um, well, they were noted for their absolute cruelty northeast of Israel. But when we hear what God wants Jonah to say to the Ninevites, we wonder, like, why didn't he just jump at the chance of it? And this is a, a, a condemning message God has for the Ninevites. God says, go cry out against Nineveh because their wickedness has come before me. And Jonah should hear this call and feel this immediate sense of pride and satisfaction. Oh, God wants me to go tell those horrible people about their sin. What an honor and a calling and a blessing. What a satisfaction that would be for me. And we all know that that's, that's not how the story goes, though. Jonah refuses to go to Nineveh. And later, he explains why he refuses to go. He explains his fear that if he goes, it might actually work. That is, though the chances of anyone getting through to the, the Ninevites is, is super slim, right? For all Jonah knew, the Ninevites might just listen and repent, and God might actually forgive these people, and then where would we all be? <laughs> and so Jonah gets on a boat to where God is not. Which leads to the only episode in this story you knew. There's a whale. He gets cast overboard in a storm and promptly eaten by this large fish. And after three days and nights of, of severe indigestion, this fish vomits Jonah onto dry land on the very shore where Jonah left in the first place. And God comes to Jonah again, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message I told you. And Jonah, still kind of reeking of whale, has no strength left to resist now. 
And so he begrudgingly does what God commands and goes into them preaching. Jonah goes to the big city of Nineveh, which we are told is an exceedingly great city. Let me say this. According to the Bible, it took three days. Did you hear it? It took three days to walk through it. That's 60 miles, which makes it a really big city. But archaeological excavations at the ruins of Nineveh reveal that it was actually only about three miles long. But hey, you know, if you believe in the belly of the whale stuff, who are you to quibble over a 60 mile wide city? Jonah goes to the edge of town and delivers this one sentence, five words, it's five words in Hebrew sermon. He packs his bags and then he prepares to head home. In his sermon, there are no illustrations, no poems, no alluring, alliterative allusions that we preachers like to use. Just 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed, is all he says. That's all. So there, are you satisfied, God? I went, I preached, I did the thing, I'm done. And here's the significant, like, flip the script moment of this story. That the response to the shortest and worst sermon ever preached in the Bible is the greatest and most powerful in the entire Bible. It's going to put me out of business. <laughs> What's the use of me, right? The people of a 60-mile-wide Nineveh they actually repent. All of them. It says even the cows repent. They start fasting and they put on sackcloth from the oldest to the youngest and they roll in ashes. And even, the, even the king, who heard the sermon only secondhand, leads this repentance across the land. Even the cows repent, the dogs and, and the cats and the kings and everyone. And then later, Jesus ends up using this repentance moment of the Ninevites as a standard by which to measure us. And what does Jonah do? He pouts. I knew this would happen. This is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew you were a God who was merciful, forgiving, a lover of losers like them. Even the cows, God? <laughs> now here's the question. Why would this story, why would this comical, exaggerated joke be told to Israel and to us. Why? The reality is Jonah is a, a, a joke. It's a satire, this story. And therefore it's, um, as every satire is, political. 
jokes and politics quite naturally go together, right? SNL, this is why it's still successful. And just like SNL, the humor of Jonah is, it's subversive, and it's dislocating. And I know there's, there's nothing worse than to tell a joke and then to explain that joke, but I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> Jonah refuses to go to Nineveh, and he does everything, everything he can to avoid Nineveh, is swallowed by and then vomited up by a big fish, all before he would even go. Why? Because in, in Jonah's words, he knew you, God, to be merciful. And we should be confused here, like someone forgot the punchline of this joke. Because, like, seriously, what's wrong with a merciful God? Isn't that what we, we all would like from God? Mercy. You know, and the mercy of God for me is also the mercy of God for them. When I look up on Sunday, my meet cozy with my God, only to find God working on the other side of the street or on the other side of the globe or on the other side of the aisle, but just does not feel all that merciful anymore. I have my solid, stable, upper middle class American God and, well, they, those uh, people on charges for the January 6th thing, or Hamas, or NRA, or that person who is making your life hell right now. Well, they have their gods, too. I, I, I dissect the world into, like, the good guys and the bad guys, right? In denial that there is one God rather than many. 3,000 years after, after Israel met one God, after Moses taught us to pray, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. We still find it really tough to monotheize God, to make God one. We have our God, and the Ninevites have theirs. We, and and this, this kind of political polytheism that we do leads to this lethal level of tribalism, which denies that which Scripture struggles to teach us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Jonah going to Nineveh to preach is a lot like um, Billy Graham going to the Soviet Union to preach during the Cold War. Does anybody remember that at all, that news story? Um, the agreeing across the aisle, God forbid, exclusively negative reaction 
Republicans, Democrats, and all in between. Everyone's negative reaction to Billy Graham going to preach in the Soviet Union. Billy, we, we know God to be merciful, even to the evil empire. And well, that's the problem. We carve up the world into competing camps, and then comes the one God, blurring our careful distinctions with Jesus' words, his rain falling on the just and the unjust, the good and the bad. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. Forsaking Aristotle's search for the common good, politics tend to, to degenerate into just the mere management of the conflicting claims of the caucuses and the competing camps, all hunkered down, all of them, behind various modes of discourse and unable to hear, to understand, to empathize. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. And that means then the joke of Jonah is on us. Let us pray. God, we all love satire when it's... God, we all love satire when it's not at our expense. But God, we hear your call today. Whoever we have them, whoever we pray, just God, don't offer them mercy because don't what that would feel like for us. And we talk about it on a big political scale, God, but the politics of our own very personal lives is the part that's the hardest. We think of the person who has wronged us. And then we imagine them finding blessing, experiencing your goodness. And it's like we say, God, uh, God what kind of lesson would that be teaching them for all the wrong they did to us? God, you are merciful, and your mercy endures forever, and is through and through, all covering. And so forgive us, God. Because we know that the moment we are closest to Jesus, the moment we look the most like Jesus in this life, is when we wish goodness on the person who hurt us. We join with Jesus in that prayer that he taught us that had it right in, in it. Our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from 